I'll need to thank Joe for those kind words, and I'll do my best to live up to them. I want to thank you for being here this morning. What a great group, and uh, it has been wonderful to worship God with you. I'm also thankful that my wife, Deb, is here with me today, my life partner in ministry, and I'd like to announce that Deb and I are celebrating our golden wedding anniversary this weekend. As I said, I would like to announce that, but since that won't actually happen until four years from now, (laughs) I can't announce that. But Joe told me you were a really gracious church, and how true that is. So Deb and I want to thank you for the advanced congratulations on our golden wedding anniversary. That is awesome. Well, we are celebrating uh, this week. Wednesday, I believe, is the 4th, and we celebrate the founding of our country here in these United States and the independence that was declared at that time. We celebrate the advantages that we enjoy because of freedom and liberty that we have. I'm grateful for that. I suspect that you are as well. Deb and I have three sons. Our oldest son serves in the military, has for a long time. We're very grateful for those who have secured freedom and maintained freedom. Freedom is worth celebrating, especially when in the news there are graphic examples around the globe of the sadness of the lack of basic freedom. So I hope you have a happy and safe 4th of July. But for Christians, for Christ followers, it goes way beyond nationalistic pride and temporal freedoms. The celebration we have is certainly more than a day off annually and a lot of fun events. I'm not trying to be a killjoy. I like fireworks as much as the next guy. Can you say pyromaniac? I love it. But freedom is more than a sky filled for a few minutes with spectacular colors and ears filled with loud, booming sounds. The freedom we're talking and thinking about together this morning is praise and gratitude to God It's not just political, it's not just national, it's not just temporal. We're talking about freedom in Christ. You and I can be free. And we're going to think about that today by looking at a very short book in the New Testament. I'm going to give you time to find it. It's the book of Philemon. Actually, it's a letter written to a guy named Philemon. It's real small. It's not even divided into chapters. It's only divided into verses. It's that short. And uh, we'll read it in its entirety in a moment, but I want to give you time to find it. If you locate the longer book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Philemon's right in front of it. While you find that, before we read it, I want to set the stage for the drama that unfolds in this book. And it is quite a drama. Paul is the primary author. Timothy's mentioned as a co-author, but it's primarily from the Apostle Paul, and it's written to Philemon as the primary recipient. Now, there are others who are mentioned, and you'll hear that when we read the book, but this is primarily to Philemon, who is identified as a dear convert and brother in the Lord. Paul is writing this letter to Philemon about a slave by the name 
of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave belonging to Philemon, and in the internal evidence in the letter, you'll find out that Onesimus is a runaway slave. He ran away looking for freedom, but he found a whole lot more than what he bargained for. And curiously enough, ironically, Onesimus finds this even greater freedom when he lands apparently in prison with the Apostle Paul. And he meets Paul, but way more importantly, he meets Jesus Christ. And he finds new life. He finds new freedom. He is changed. Changed. And now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon along with this letter. With those things in mind, let's read, let's read this mail. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous, not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you. One of the greatest messages in this little letter is found in verse 11. Speaking of Onesimus, Paul says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Real freedom, you see, is in Christ. Real freedom is the ability to live a useful, productive life. And by the way, in some of your Bibles, maybe there's a footnote you've already noticed. The name Onesimus literally means useful, useful. Outside of Christ, outside of Jesus, life is empty and hopeless. Real freedom is in Him. And so that's why we come together and we praise Him in song. And that's why we remember with a little piece of cracker and a cup of juice. We remember His body. We remember His blood. We remember the price that He paid for us because we're celebrating all the things that we have found freedom from. In Christ, we are freed from our sin. In Christ, we are freed from our guilt. In Christ, we are freed from our shame. In Christ, we are freed from the penalty of our sin, and we rejoice in all these things. But the freedom that we have in Christ is even greater, as amazing as that is, because it's grace upon grace. He doesn't just free us from, He also frees us to many things. And I want to identify some of those blessings that come out of this beautiful letter this morning and focus our time so that God might speak to us through His Word and so that we might be free and that we might be changed. Can anybody use some freedom like that? Anybody want to be changed like that? Well, then let's hear the Word of the Lord. And in the Word of God, in this little book, we discover that in Christ we are free to love. I mean, you can't read the letter without noticing the mutual love. It's a love fest here, you know. Paul gives thanks for Philemon and for his faith and for how he loves all the saints. He has refreshed the hearts of all the saints by this love that's going on. Love, not just an emotion, but an act of the will. And, and it's engaging and it connects lives together. So there's a great deal of love going on here. And of course, you can see the love that Paul has for Philemon and that Philemon has for Paul. In Christ, you and I are free to love like that. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13, there's tremendous advice given by the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words to Christians who were in the area of Galatia. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. He goes on to say in verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, you recognize that, don't you? As the second greatest commandment as identified by Jesus. Thanks to a teacher of the law, we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder about the priorities of Jesus. Because this teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus drew on what the old covenant people of God would call the Shema, something they repeated multiple times every day. And so he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
He identified this as the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then Jesus offered, unsolicited, the second greatest commandment when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these two commands, all the law and prophets hang. In other words, everything that God was about in human history into the coming of Christ hang on these two things. Relationships, the vertical relationship, love God with everything you are. And horizontal relationships, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is all about relationships rooted in love. And in Him, we're free to love. Loving's not easy. But you and I can step up to that responsibility and exercise the freedom to love because of what God has done for us in Christ. The Bible's really clear about this in 1 John 4, 9. It simply says, we love because He first loved us. That's why we love. We are stirred by the love of God in Christ. And that's why we love. So if you and I are sputtering or stalling out or stumbling a little bit in living out our freedom to love, the key is to turn our eyes upon Jesus. To look at Him. To look at the love of God in Christ. To celebrate that love. And then it gives way and frees us to love like that. It's beyond us. It's by His power. Long time ago, this idea captured me, and I have tried to be a student of the love of God so that I might love because He first loved me. And a lot of the lessons about the love of God are actually quite enjoyable. They're pleasant. You know, like for Deb and me to get to worship with you this weekend and see your love for God and see your love for one another and be on the receiving end of your kindness and love is just enjoyable. And I thank God and I thank you and I learn more about the magnitude of the love of God in those moments. I'm grateful for it. But I'm guessing your experience is similar to mine. Sometimes the deepest lessons about the love of God come out of the moments of deepest pain. They really do, and they're tough. I remember one in particular from many years ago. I'm actually the last of seven children. Judy, Bob, Tom, Cindy, Barb, Jeff, Greg... So don't you know I suffered at the hands of those three older brothers and those three older sisters? Not really. I'm very thankful for each one of them. It's been uh, some time back now. My oldest sister, Judy, was dying of that dreadful disease that has hardly left any family untouched. And you probably would guess I'm talking about cancer. And some of you might be going through that storm of life right now. You may be in it personally suffering from cancer. You may have a loved one who is suffering from cancer. I want you to know, my heart goes out to you. 
I want you to know there's hope and there's help. My sister was in her mid-50s when she was in a facility in Newark, Ohio, and we knew that without miraculous intervention by the Lord Himself, her days on earth were numbered. My mom, who passed away a year ago next month at the age of 97, (laughs) was 79 at the time my sister was in Ohio. And my mom left her home in Vero Beach, Florida and went to Newark, Ohio to be there for what her generation would have called a bedside vigil (laughs) when you go to be with someone and stay with them until they pass from this life. While mom was there, I was teaching at the Bible College in Joplin. This was before cell phones and the convenience that we have with them. But I would call multiple times daily to check on my sister and to check on my mom. And uh, through the day, I would need to do it just in snatches of time. I remember this day, I had taught two classes. I had a 10-minute break, and then I was going to teach two more classes. So I went across the hall and borrowed the telephone of a co-worker. Their office was located there. And I called and had just a few minutes to talk. Mom answered the phone in Judy's room, and her voice was heavy. I said, can I talk with Judy? She said, she's not up to it. I said, how's how's it going, Mom? She said, it's been a pretty rough morning. I said, why don't you tell me about it? My mom proceeds to tell me how my sister in her mid-50s reached out her frail skin and bone arm, extended her hand, and said, Mommy, please hold my hand. And of course, my mom gently took her hand. And then my sister said, Mommy, please take the pain away. My mother, a godly woman, gathered herself in the strength of the Lord, and she said, Jude, I can't take your pain away. But I will hold your hand until Jesus does. And that's what my mom did. And it wasn't too long after that that our Father God gave my sister the greatest healing of all. And he took her home. And she has not suffered once since then. Hallelujah. Amen. And we rejoice when God grants the miracle and life is extended here on earth, but we rejoice that Jesus is alive and our hope is in Him. I don't remember what I said to my mom in that moment. It's a fog. I know I prayed with her. Then I had to hang up. I had to somehow teach those next two classes and not really on autopilot because honestly only by the strength of the Lord. I got through them. And then I went to be alone. You know, you seek solitude in those moments and when we're having the dark nights of the soul where we can cry out to God, sometimes using words, sometimes relying on the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. But we cry out to God and our, our questions usually are, why? Why is this happening? What's going on? <laughs> and I don't think God minds for a moment when we ask Him those things. 
But I think he would like for us just to listen to how he might answer. I have a dear friend who once said, God sometimes gives us answers, but most of the time he gives us something better than answers. He gives us himself. And in that moment, I can remember it vividly, I thought to myself, oh, if my mom could take the pain away from her firstborn, she would do it in an instant. But she did not have that power. If my sister could have avoided the pain that she was experiencing in her dying, she would have in an instant chosen something different. But my sister did not have that power. And then it hit me right between the eyes. God. God. Almighty. Omnipotent. All-powerful God could have spared his son from what he suffered. But he chose rather to allow him to be bruised, to allow him to be wounded, to allow him to be afflicted for our iniquities so that we might have No wonder John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Jesus, God's only Son, God in the flesh. Clearly, before the world was framed and God came up with this scheme to save us that would require His life's blood, He could have had the power. He could have said, Nope. Don't want to do it. (laughs) And if grace is really grace, undeserved favor, God doesn't owe us anything, Jesus could have said, nope, don't want to do it, and forever he would have been just. But instead, he said in that moment, in eternity gone past, essentially what he said in a garden when he asked that the cup might pass from him, three times. But he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus gave up his life. Remember when he was arrested, he said, don't you think I couldn't call upon my father and he'd send a legion of angels to rescue me? And he made it crystal clear, didn't he, when he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. No wonder interesting John 3:16 for God so loved he gave his only son 1 John 3:16 this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us oh some of the deepest lessons about the love of God are born out of the deepest pain and when we see his love we are freed to love. Not only are we freed to love, but in Christ we are freed to be selfless. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, I suppose Paul could have kept quiet about the whole situation. I don't know for sure, but it's possible Philemon never would have even found out about everything that had transpired. 
And in fact, Paul could have rationalized his way to this. Look at verse 13. He said, uh, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Paul probably needed him more than Philemon needed him at some levels. And Paul could have easily rationalized his way out of it, just kept the whole thing quiet and been served himself. But instead, he chose selflessness. But that doesn't really come naturally to most of us. What comes naturally to most of us is selfishness, not selflessness. I like the comic strip, The Born Loser. I remember one a long time ago in the first frame, The Born Loser is pictured there putting his paycheck on the boss's desk, complaining in the caption. He's complaining because he was shorted $10 on his paycheck. In the next frame, the boss is answering him, said, I didn't see you in here last pay period when I paid you $10 too much. And in the final frame, the born loser in his self-righteousness says, well, one mistake I can overlook. <laughs> yeah. We're good at overlooking things when it comes to our advantage. I love the story of the little boy and a little girl, brother and sister. He was a year older. They're on a toy horse that's really built for one. He leans back to his sister and says, one of us could have more fun if you would get off. <laughs> and that's the deal. We always know how the other person needs to be selfless for us rather than seeing how we can be selfless for the other. Paul says, I don't want to violate your freedom, Philemon, to share willingly. So I'm sending him back. Yeah, I need him. He would be of great advantage to me. And I want to be blessed by you. But I want it to be your choice. Meaningful selflessness is not coerced. When I think about this and see it, lived out here in the book of Philemon. I can't help but think of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where God says to us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And there's a lot of that going on in this little letter. Paul's looking out for Philemon. Paul, I believe, is looking out for Onesimus. Even though Paul's making a pretty big ask of Onesimus, he's asking Onesimus to think of Philemon even above himself. Consider that for a minute. Philemon's a runaway slave. Paul's asking him, go back to Philemon. That's huge. Paul then in the letter is asking Philemon to consider Onesimus above himself. It's really a beautiful thing converging here. And it's only possible, the only way we can be free to be selfless is as we look to the example of Jesus, because when God calls us to this in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, you're probably aware of the fact that in verses 5 through 11, it's just such a powerful passage. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Wow, that's incarnation talk. God becoming a man. And then it moves to redemptive talk and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, selflessness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And in most Bible uh, translations, There'll be a line there for a moment. Another pause, in other words, a pause. Let this sink in. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because there were other forms of capital punishment, stoning, being sawn asunder, being beheaded. Gruesome, all of them gruesome. But crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. And it was considered not only the most painful, but the most humiliating way to die. Even death on a cross. But we know it doesn't end there, end there because our Savior is alive. We worship a living Savior and we have a living hope. And so this passage goes on to the exaltation after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, God has given to him the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what comes out of selflessness. God is praised and we can step up to that and be free to be changed in that way because of Jesus. There are many examples of what we are freed to in Christ in this book. I just want to mention one more. And it's pretty weighty. In Christ, we are free to forgive. I know that's a hard topic for a lot of us. And in a room this size with this many people in it, there's probably a whole lot of hurting <laughs> in the past. Much of it still escalating even in the present. Please hear my heart. In talking about this, I do not in any way want to minimize anybody's pain woundedness, suffering, or hurt. If we had the time to tell all the stories represented in this room, it would take our breath away. I do not mean to minimize anybody's pain or hurt, but I do mean to maximize the power of our great God and Father and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the reality that he can change everything. I just want to ask you to crack the door of your mind and your heart open to that if you're carrying a lot of hurt. And just give God an opportunity 
In Christ, we're free to forgive. It's astounding in verse 17 when Paul writes to Philemon concerning Onesimus and he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. You talk about a turnaround. You talk about a change. You talk about reconciliation of relationships. It's so powerful in this. And it's possible because we are free in Christ. Now this is another lesson for another time and deserves the most careful thought and I just want to touch on it lightly here. But I'm sure you have heard skeptics or maybe those who are opposed to Christ who have offered this complaint against God and against the people of God and against the Bible. And the complaint goes something like this. The Bible is silent on the slavery issue and condoned it. Therefore, God is not worthy. Now, let me be the first. Admittedly and regrettably, to state clearly, (laughs) there was too little done (laughs) on this issue. For way too long. (laughs) And there's much more to do. But the gains that have been made over the years, in reality, come out of the seedbed of Christianity and the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit who inspired radical words to be written, connected to this issue, and this little letter is a classic example of that. And it's way too easy for us to read through this letter and not have the weight of those words capture our minds and hearts. For instance, in verses 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Couched in that, is the concept of eternity. Eternal things are being identified here. Have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. That was cultural heresy (laughs) at the time. Not as a slave, but better than a slave, and then even furthermore, as a dear brother. We're talking about abolition talk here. And it goes on and says, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man, think about that, and as a brother in Christ. That's that's, uh, uh, emancipation talk. This is powerful. And out of the seedbed of these kinds of consequences, took way too long. (laughs) And there's much more to be done, but it's out of the seedbed of these Radical thoughts that gains have come. So the claim that the Bible is silent on slavery is just not accurate. Now, in this freedom we have to forgive, let verse 18 sink into our minds and into our hearts. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And what we have here, folks, is a microcosm of the gospel. Isn't it? 
You know, the old chorus, it's really old now. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. And like the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. Every bit of it so that you and I can be free. My favorite verse of Scripture that gets at this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a marvelous thing in the forgiveness that we receive from him. And we are loved and forgiven, making us free to love and forgive. I think all of us would agree being loved and forgiven is perhaps the greatest blessing we can receive. And I would submit that when we do receive it, being loved and forgiven is what enables us to love and forgive somebody else. And it is perhaps the greatest blessing that we can give. It's been said people don't own you when they hurt you. They own you when your entire life is defined by that hurt. And this morning, what I'm contending for is we are in Christ, free to forgive, to have healing to ourselves and to extend forgiveness, not because of who we are or what we've done. It doesn't come to us naturally, but because of who He is and what He has done, we can crack the door open to that and give God opportunity. Romans 12 18 says, insofar as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. You just, you, you know, you just do what you can and then see what God might do. I think there are a lot of blessings waiting for us if we would trust Him in that way. Now, I have a list. Do you have a list? Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. It's not a list that I've written down. It's one that I keep in my mind. And so for years now, I've had a growing list. In more recent years, it's actually getting shorter. You know why? Because I can't remember as much now. <laughs> so my list is getting shorter, but at least today, Philemon and Onesimus are still on my list. And here's what I'm talking about. It's a list of things I have in mind that I'm hoping I can find out in eternity. You know? I would just love it if God would grant me the opportunity to just have a little tiny piece of eternity. It wouldn't take long, relatively speaking, uh, just to sit down with Philemon and Onesimus. So I could say, Philemon, tell me what happened when you opened that letter. Onesimus, tell me what it was like for you on the way to deliver it. What happened when you got there? I like to picture Philemon and Onesimus in a warm embrace. I hope that's what happened because it's possible because of Christ. In Christ, we're free. But I, you know, I don't know if I'll get to find out how that all worked out and along other, you know, all the other things that are on my list that I'd like to find out. And if I do get to find those things out, I'll have to wait. But here's Something I don't have to wait for, and you don't have to wait for either. We don't have to wait to find out what's going to happen 
in the relationships that we have. We can do something about it right now. I don't presume to know what that is that you ought to do. In many instances, that's certainly, in all instances, that's going to have to be worked out between you and God. And in some instances, you're going to maybe need the help of others, you know, to get it all figured out. But I'm encouraging you to open yourself up to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to know, is there anything you need to address in relationships? Uh, I've I've had a rock, rocky relationship with a dear friend and brother for a number of years. <laughs> and uh, try to keep the door open. And, he, you know, it's been like eight years. <laughs> I might send him a text message once a year. I sent him a text message this last month. I figured it'd be like all the rest, no response. I said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm taking a lot of comfort in the fact that when Jesus calls us all home, all the gaps are going to be bridged and they'll be swallowed up in His grace. And I, I look forward to that day. Uh, but my heart hurts because we don't have to wait till then. If you'd like to get together to figure out how we can honor, the God, honor God in the way we relate with one another, just always know the door's always open. Let me know. And in the meantime, I'm just praying God's best for you. And immediate response. Hey, how about this Friday? Let's get together. Wow. And it's all good. All because of Jesus. So I'm just asking you, keep the door open and see what God might do. Freedom is in Christ. And the pressing question today is, are you free in Christ Jesus? And I first want to ask that question to those who may have never crossed the line and accepted the grace that God offers to you in Jesus Christ so that you can be freed from your sin, freed from your guilt, be freed from the penalty that goes with that. And I want to encourage you, today could be the day you could cross the line and you could accept that grace from God. And I encourage you to do so. My guess is that most of us in the room have done that. So my question for the rest of us is, are we living out our freedom? Are we living out our freedom to love? Are we living out our freedom to be selfless? Are we living out our freedom to be forgiving? And my hope is this last verse of this little letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's what we all really need, isn't it? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to pray that we will indeed celebrate freedom.